Hi, I'm Lee Gerstman, and I'm no longer banned from this podcast. I use my hand on Ralph and my mouth on Ian, and that's why I'm back. So deal with it, bitches. Here they are. Dr. Fuck and Wadzilla. I still think they're fucking assholes. Hey, Schmack, oh my god, it's Dr. Fucking with me is. Oh yeah, the Ayatollah Alcoholic and Wadley. What's up, brother? I'm just here thinking about how much funnier you are than me. Wow. Uh-huh. My ego. <laughs> hey. That's all right. You're you're more talented. I'm more funny. It all works out in the end. Hey, man, but you got to admit, and you may be funnier than me, but, dude, I challenge you, bro. Bring cardboard to the rocket pot, and let's see who can break dance better. Ah, yeah, we're, uh, we're going to have to challenge that out. I, I'm pretty confident in my breakdancing skills. All right. I'm, I'm not going to yeah, see. Okay. All right. Everybody uh, out there. Place your bets. I bet on me, bro. I do the I, I do the shit where I twirl on my head while I beat my meat, and I can come while I'm spinning. Can you? Uh, yeah, but it takes a while, and you gotta talk dirty to me. Ah, see, but I, I'm gonna win. I, it doesn't take me I, no. It doesn't take. It, it, it's real quick. I spin on my head and think of Andrew <laughs> Jacobs, and I come in a heartbeat. Ah. Uh, Oh, yeah, okay, you might beat me. <laughs> yeah, beat. place your bets. <laughs> All right, dude, so what's going on, man? Well, uh, I just want to say a big, uh, we love you and get well soon to Rock and Ron Runyon. Yes, sir. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you guys heard, but uh, they did an awesome tribute to him on the, I always fuck this up, the, the, the CMC something lemon rim. It's it's Wally and uh, God damn it! That's what I get for drinking so much. Our buddies from Canada. <laughs> they they did a, a, a tribute to Rock and Ron, and uh, we record a little segment for it. And I thought it was going to be on their podcast episode, but it was actually on Wally's live radio show. So some of you might have heard it, some of you might have missed it, but uh, for those who didn't hear it. Check this shit out. Our little tribute to Rock and Ron Runyon. Oh, yeah! This is the Ayatollah Alcoholic Ian Wadley, and I'm with Dr. Fuckalicious. And we just want to say hey to Rock and Ron Runyon and wish you well, brother. And uh, man, our history with Ron is well documented, not only on our show, but on Decibel Geek. We've had many of adventures. And we are looking forward to having many, many more. And I don't know if I, I told you, Ralph, but uh, I got to talk to Ron a couple days ago. You did? Yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with, with Cameo? Yeah, that's that, that thing where you get celebrities to, to do little shout outs. Yeah, well, they got this this new thing out, like Cameo Premium and stuff, where, you, you know, you don't get a recorded message you get to do it live. And I'm like, fuck it, I'm going all out for Ron. And I know what a big Megadeth fan he is. 
Uh-oh. So I, yeah, so I got Dave Ellison, formerly of Megadeth. <laughs> Ooh. And 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 all three of us, you know, we're we're on a, a Zoom call, and 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 Ron was just so happy, and Dave was being so positive, just telling telling him, you know, Ron, you can beat it, you can you, you, you can beat beat it beat it right now, beat it in front of me, Ron, Ron, Ron show me how you beat it, and 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 you can tell, you know, in in Ron's face, Ron was beating it. You know, and and, and and Ellison was right there, like, yeah, I'm gonna beat it with you, you know, and, and you know, fuck it, went in Rome. I joined in. We just all started beating it together, and uh, yeah, and you know, after it was all done, you know, we all had a smoke, and uh, you know, I, I just saw the look of joy on Ron's face and how happy I made him, you know, and I'm like, you know, you, you feeling better, champ? And he's like, you know, tell you the truth, I feel like a kid again. <laughs> and uh, that's when I knew he got his appetite back, and you know I could tell, you know he was he was feeling better. So yeah, uh, yeah. so Ron, you know we love you, man. We yeah, we you. do, man. And we 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 are we all have our positive vibes and prayers for you, brother. We wanted to see you at Rock and Pod, and you're gonna be the hero when you show up there and you know show everybody that you're one tough mother. And, uh, you know, we all have our faith and hope and that you are going to beat it. And we all have our feelings for you and our hearts go out to you, brother. We really look forward to a rock and pod to see you there. Brother. Yeah. Uh, the rock and Ron pod. That, that's, what, yeah. that's what we're going to change it to. And, exactly. and, and, and don't you worry, brother, man, this is 2021. Science has come a long way. A lot of people get an added dick to me. Caitlyn oh. Jenner turned out fine, you know, yeah. and and you're gonna be great. You're gonna beat it again, just like I saw you beat it the other day. Hell yeah! And yeah we're all gonna get together on cameo again. It'll be me, you, Ron, and Dave Ellison all beating it. Yeah, hell yeah! yeah. Let's all you know, get Dave, tired for Dave, like that. And Ellison's gonna be all for it because he got really excited when uh, when uh, when uh, Ron was a kid again. Yes. <laughs> so Ron, we will see you in August. We love you, brother. Love you, bro. We'll see you then, Mr. Onion. I mean Runyon, hell yeah. All right. And that that's a true story. That's a true story. That really happened. And uh man, we love Ron. He is making incredible progress. And I'm very hopeful we are gonna see him in August at uh Rock and Pod. Me too. I really hope he's going to be there. He'll he'll be the hero. Hell yeah. The Rock and Ron Runyon Pod Fest uh, Quattro. Whatever yeah. you call it. And how many, you, how many of you guys are going too? Uh, I, I want to see something on the Facebook page. I, I need a new head count of everybody who's showing up. And uh, man, I'm telling you, make it because... This shit is going to be amazing. I, I think already we're on pace to have the most listeners uh, showing up of, of any year. And, and definitely, I think, of any podcast. And we usually have the most fans that make the trip. But this year, uh, I definitely think we're in the lead. But uh, this this is something not to be missed. Gonna be I'm going to be there. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, Ian, but I'm going. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Surprise. 
He loved the cock. He did. Big fan. Fuck it. Uh, it's going to be amazing. I'm going to be giving a lot of shit away. I think Ralph's bringing some shit to give away. Uh, of course, you know, you guys are all more than welcome to party with us. And, oh, and shit. Ralph, wait, I'm... in, in. Oh, wait, I got to pass gas. Hold on. All right, there you go. Ooh. Hey, I got exciting news, Ian. Um, What's I'm that? Getting, I'm getting married. You're getting... No. Yeah, I'm getting married and, and uh, taking my wife to Rock Upon. I'm going to share her with the listeners. Well, technically it's a he, but it's a really hot tranny. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I got to get some wax, though, because... You know the shaving thing, still the stubble and shit. We gotta, we gotta wax the dude. I gotta wax my dude slash wife before I go to Nashville. Nice. Share it with all our listeners. Hell yeah! I bet Andrew Jacobs is jealous. He can't go. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't get to meet Sharon Dix slash Vieira. But <laughs> if you guys want to meet Sharon Dix, yeah, show rock and pop. Big veiny cat. Hey, I gotta ask Chris. I mean. It's legal for me to marry a tranny here in Florida, but is it okay to remain married in Nashville? Because I don't know what, how they feel about that. Yeah, yes, but only if you're already related. Oh, <laughs> fuck! Then that's a no-go. Only if I had a transsexual relative, that would be hot. Yeah, you know, like we even run into that in Louisiana. You know, depending on what. You know, Parisher and uh, you know one of my coworkers. Uh, he lives in a very, uh, let's say, segregated parish. And, and I asked him. I, I go, hey, you know, in, in your town, are you, are you allowed to date outside your race? He goes, shit, we can't even date outside our family. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, that's the way it is here in the South. That's hot. Uh, you know, but that's why they got those tic tac teeth and, and squinty eyes. And web web feet. <laughs> but again, all the more reason to show up to Rocket Pod. Besides meeting all the rock stars, and I'll tell you what, one I'm so excited about, and I don't think I could announce it in the last episode, but now I can announce it. The brothers are going to be there. Vinny Apice and Carmine Apice are going to be there. And I'll tell you what, we're interviewing them motherfuckers. I cannot wait. To interview sure. both. But uh, again, man, get your ass to fucking Nashville. Do what you gotta do. You're not gonna regret this shit. And uh, by the time this shit posts, which is probably in a couple days of us recording this, I'm gonna put this up right away. But uh, it's still open for your, uh, you know, if, if you want to buy an episode. And I, I know there's some people like, like right away we sold a lot of episodes. And then it slowed down, you know. And there's probably a lot of people, and rightfully so, like, bitch, I bought an episode two years ago and I heard it yet. We're doing this shit. We're doing this shit. We've had a couple of setbacks. We're back together. We're doing this. Today's episode is a fan episode. So if you buy it, you're going to get it. You're not going to get it tomorrow, but you're going to get it. So if you want to get in there, now's your time to buy it because, you know, in a couple weeks, this shit's going to be done, and no more fan episodes. So, and if you go get, to get. and if if you go to Rock and Pod, 
come hang out in our room after the yes. show. And whatever album you donated, we'll do a track by track in the room. I'll fucked up on the drugs you bring. Right, Ian? Oh, I'm down for that. <laughs> you know I'm down for that. Yeah, I, we'll I, record it and we'll put it up, like you know, and you'll be part of it. You'll be live with us in the hotel room, and oh we'll, yeah, and we, yeah. we we've done that before. I think we did that at Rock and Pod too, I believe. Oh, I mean, it, it's gonna. I'm bringing all the stuff. I'm bringing you know my laptop, mic, and everything. So we'll have everything there to record an episode live in the room. Uh, you know, and we can do some Facebook Live shit. We can do all kinds of shit. So it, it will behoove you to uh, get your ass to Nashville. What the fuck I word was that? What'd you say? Behoove? Huh? Yes. Bahu? I yes. never heard that word before. Behoove? Yeah, that'd be good for you if you do it. Behoove? What, what does that mean? What does behoove mean? <laughs> it means it would be in your best interest to get your ass to Nashville. Oh, I, I learn something every day. Behoove. <laughs> All right, right well, enough of the hard sell. Let's go into the news, shall we? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, let's see what's going on in the world of rock. Uh-oh. <laughs> Here's one. This is funny. This is funny. But what a ringing endorsement. Death Leopard's Phil Cullen says Vince Neil still has a year to get ready for the stadium tour. What the fuck? He's already ready. Oh. Holy Mastacholi. So by the time you guys heard this, everybody knows about Vince Neil's disastrous concert. And I was really surprised of all the media attention that this got. This shit was all over the internet, not just on like Blabbermouth and, you know, places where you'd expect it. But it was like on the front page of Yahoo and shit. How horrible Vince Neil was. Uh, at his first post-pandemic concert. And uh, did, did you watch any of the footage, Ralph? Yes, I did. It was awesome. I loved it, man. <laughs> I have been up on stage. He did like, what, eight, nine songs. Then he's like, fuck it, my voice is shot. I got a, I got a bucket of KFC backstage. I got some fucking groupies ready to fucking give me head while I down some delicious gravy and chase it with some wild turkey. Fuck you all. I shake my ass enough for you fucks. I'm Vince fucking Neil. <laughs> Hell yeah. I love uh, this. He's a pimp. Oh, Ian, check this out. I don't know if you know this, but this is mind-blowing. Do you know how much Vince Neil charges for a solo gig? No, I have no idea. Between forty to seventy thousand dollars. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome! They pay them that much to suck. I mean, come on, it's nobody. I don't think anybody is cooler than Vince Neil. They pay well, them that much to go up on stage and suck. Well, I'll tell you what. I think you just broke up the Vince Neil fucking solo band because Dana Strum and those other humps get twenty bucks a show. So I, I, I think you just fucked everything up. Oh, old Zoltan or Zoltar, whatever the fuck his drummer's name is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and Mick Mars' great 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 grandson who plays guitar. Uh, yeah, they all get twenty bucks. <laughs> now they're mad. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, yeah, I mean, look, here's the deal, dude. Everybody's like, I mean, come on, really, seriously. Is that, are, is anybody really shocked by this? I mean, how many, what's it been, two decades now this guy's sucked on stage? All right, so he, he, he blew out his voice toward the end of a show, and everybody making a big deal. And now Phil Collins say he's got a year to get ready? Don't fucking hold your breath. The guy's going to suck. And I love the fact that he hasn't lost weight. I love it. He doesn't give a fuck. Dude, think about it. Vince Neil has been the brunt of fat jokes for decades now. He doesn't, he makes no effort. That is a guy that just doesn't give a shit and doesn't give a fuck what anybody thinks. And I applaud him. He's fucking awesome. And his new chick, smoking, reminds me of every chick he's had. It doesn't matter what he looks like. He's Vince fucking Neil. It's like the king of queens. He's the fat guy with the hot girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, I think he's he's loving the pandemic. And he's loving that this shit gets postponed another year. Because I think he has, like, an insurance clause. Like, if Mick Mars dies, he still gets paid $75,000 a show. <laughs> and he doesn't and, you know, have... And, and I don't know how true this is, Ian, but somebody told me this, that there's a rumor going on that Mick Mars is not going to be there next year. They're going to get somebody else to replace him. That's just a rumor. But I'll tell you this. Out of everybody in Motley Crue, look, we've already had Motley Crue without Vince Neil. It flopped. Uh, Vin, uh, we had him without uh, Tommy Lee. Didn't do that great. But Mick Mars, and I'm talking not the hardcores. I know all you hardcore. Oh, no, Mick Mars is very important. Do you really think he's very important to the casual fans that will go see the show? <laughs> he's not I don't think so. He's not important to any girl that would go to Motley Crue. And that's their hardcore audience. It's like, I mean, the majority of people that are into Motley Crue are chicks. Come on, let's not bully, bullshit each other. It's mostly chicks that want to go see Motley Crue because Nikki Six is hot, you know? And, and Tommy's got a big dong. And Vince Neil, man. They still love Vince Neil, man. He sang fucking Looks That Kill and Home Sweet Home. Doesn't matter what he looks like. He's Vince fucking Neil. <laughs> the I, real I, Motley Crue. If you replaced Mick Mars and Motley Crue, you'd have more people complain about replacing Tommy Thayer and Kiss. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Nobody would, and I and don't get me wrong. I love McMars, but let's be honest. But it, you know, I, I, seriously, anybody, you know, take a look at what you saw on these Vince Neil tapes. Anybody that bought a ticket to this stadium tour, that's what you deserve. That's, that's what a, you fucking deserve. I agree. You know, you know, you, you know they don't suck. And if you don't know that he can't sing, then obviously you haven't paid attention. In the last fucking 20 years. So that shows me what kind of fan you are. Well, that's you the... Know? Dude, and I, that's not only Motley Crue, Ian. No, 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 no. But but, but that's... A, shows like this, these nostalgia shows, these aren't hardcore fans. These are... No, but that, Yeah. These yeah, are random fucking fans who haven't paid attention. And if you're willing to pay what they're charging for this bullshit... You know, there's 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 probably going to be fucking thousands of people showing up expecting Rick Allen to have two fucking arms. That's how out of touch these people are. These are people who drive to their fucking bullshit jobs 
listening to classic rock radio who haven't bought a fucking album since Flies Like Fly Like an Eagle by Steve Miller. You know, have, are, are so out of touch, do not know what's going on, waiting for a rude fucking awakening. They'd be like, God damn, Pete Willis has been working out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, here's another story I love. In, in the midst of all this, uh, you know, uh, Vince Neil bullshit, Stephen Piercy says, I never had to use uh, pre-recorded backing vocals or guide vocals <laughs> before live. You don't need to, dude. You don't really struggle. <laughs> and that's what I love. Like, Stephen Piercy's like, I'll just come out there and suck. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Vince. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, and I tell you what, I am the biggest Rat fan. I love fucking Rat, but, you know, keep this in mind. If you're going to see him live, it's a fucking roll of the dice. Yeah. Some, some nights he sounds okay. Some nights he sounds like Rat shit. <laughs> you know? But, uh, but yeah. goddamn. He is no one to talk because uh, there's been various interviews with Bo Hill who produced all the classic uh, Rat albums where, you know, all those vocals are like triple tracked to make them sound good, you know. Uh, and, and I love Stephen Piercy's voice, but it's not uh, a technically a great voice and it does require some studio magic. They've never been accused of being a great live band. Mostly because of his vocals, <laughs> but I just love how he throws it out there. Yeah, I never had to do that. I just go out there and suck. I don't. I don't make no excuses. <laughs> Did you see uh, Vinny Vincent saying he believes he could have rejoined Kiss after the Revenge writing sessions? No. <laughs> oh my! Really? Oh my God! He has a new. He has a new uh, wig. You gotta oh, see I, it. Oh, I saw it. It's. it's Dude, that I saw a picture. It's like a, 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 a profile picture, like him sitting down. Oh my god! And that wig, holy shit! Is can it be oh. any more fake? Oh my god! Not only is the wig so fake, but this guy—I don't know who the guy is who's doing the interview. But you know, it, it, it's so sad that there, there's so you know. I, I guess we're just fucking. <laughs> we're lazy we're lazy because we should be interviewing <laughs> the biggest stars and even pieces of shit like Vinnie Vincent. But this guy, I saw like an intro tape. This guy interviews like everybody revolving around kiss, no presence, uh, can barely fucking talk. And during the interview, Vinny's putting his arm around the guy and Vinny's got like these lunch lady arms. You can see <laughs> the shit. You can see the shit swinging, and he's got the new fucking, uh, you know, the wig. It, it, it's so unbelievable how clueless this guy is. And I, really, I think the only thing sadder than people who show up to Motley Crue shows expecting their money's worth are people who go to these Vinnie Vincent, you know, events. Yeah, th you know, th those cost like five, 500 bucks. Yeah, it, it's like you are the lamest of the lame and just... You know, all I, you know, it, it just proves how fucked up you kiss tards are. But what get this, Ian, but get this, I don't think you even know this. This is insane. Because I actually know, not somebody that went to it, but I know somebody that's part of the Vinnie Vincent groups and shit. Yeah. Vinnie Vincent charged 
to have his autograph at that event. After you pay 500 bucks, if you want something signed, he would, I don't know how much it was, but he would charge. Yeah, but, but that makes, if you, if you know the history, and again, you and me live and breathe this shit. We know this shit, you know? If you don't know this shit, then how big a fan are you really? You know? And if you don't know this shit, you deserve everything you fucking get. And here's a bizarre thing about Vinnie Vincent, and I really do believe this girl that, that told me this. She's not a liar. I've known this girl for like three years now. Believe me, I really sincerely doubt she's lying. Vinnie Vincent can still play like he did in the 80s. Like, you know, that annoying Vinnie Vincent invasion crap, you know, that stupid soulless solo, but he can still shred like that. And the reason why Vinnie, and, and when you go to an event, they make, they take your phone from you. You're not allowed to film anything. You're not allowed nothing, you know. There, he doesn't want any proof to go out there. And they asked him this, like Vinny. Everybody out there says they don't think you can play. Why don't you show people you can play? And he says, I don't care what anybody thinks. He's so delusional. I say, get him, do do a thirty second. So everybody can, because everybody thinks the guy can't play. I honestly. Dude, if it wasn't for this chick, I think I think he couldn't play because because he came to Miami and didn't do no solo. He looked like a deer in headlights, you know. But what I also heard is that when he does play at these events, it's just shredding for 20 minutes. It's just you know how nauseating should that would that be to me and no, you? I mean, not Vinny no, Vincent fan. And, and I remember that when, when I first met him at the '94 Kiss convention. And they kept playing his shit over and over. It was it was terrible. It yeah. sounded like Ingve Malmsteen fucking garbage. No man, way worse no, than that. No, no, but 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 Ingve Malmsteen's a, a prime example. Well, got, yeah, but at least he's got a little soul in his playing. Yeah, Ingve can play, but he can't write songs for shit without yeah. without other people. You know, you yeah, know not I mean? anymore. Yeah, no, no, and, I know exactly what you mean. But and, but and Vinny's almost the opposite because Vinny can actually co-write some great songs when he's restrained. But if you leave Vinny to his own devices, he overplays everything. Yep. He doesn't know how to serve the song. He just wants to serve. I'm Vinny Vincent, and I can do this. I can play better than Ace Frehley. Fuck, I'm probably more of a technical guitar player than Ace Fraley. But at least he knows how to write a, a song back in the day. You know, you know what I mean? And, and has some and solos. Yeah, you know, you know, but Vinny Vincent, it's like when it comes to solo, he just he's so like, oh, let me show you this. Who gives a fuck? Like almost all that man, I listened to some of that new Ingve Malmsteen album. Oh my god. It's uh, wretched. I, I, yeah, I don't even bother. It's, I don't it's, even bother. It, it, it's so much masturbatory bullshit. It's like, where's the song? If you're going to compare it to Vinnie Vincent, at least, like, Ingve like, pauses a little bit here and there. Vinnie Vincent is just one mess. You know, like, it's just too over the top where, yeah, Ingve's over the top. I'm not defending Ingve because I think it's boring what he does, but at least... I hear something that's a little human where Vinnie Vincent is just this 
just masturbatory fucking shredding that's just ridiculous. It's it, There's no soul to it. It's like the great cat. Remember the great cat? Yeah, well, I, I definitely agree with you. It's masturbatory. But you can't tell if he's jacking off or figuring himself. <laughs> fucking Aphrodite motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. But but again, you kiss tards deserve everything you fucking get. Anybody who gets ripped off at a Vinnie Vincent thing or unfulfilled, you deserve it. A thousand percent. And then some. You know? Yep. I, I agree. I mean, come on, man. I mean it's just and that goes to that goes to current kiss as well. You deserve it a hundred to see fucking Paul lip sync. And... Oh, oh, I know, and that and that's a funny thing. I was just thinking about the other because I keep fucking forgetting <laughs> that I'm gonna go see Kiss in October. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, but I but I told you, you know, Mrs. Wildly bought me tickets because Dave's opening up. Oh, he is open. And you know, and you know what? I God, I keep hearing these Dave songs. I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna get, but. I'm, I'm oh, just no, gonna go Dave's to not going to do no new songs. He's just going to do Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I, I I know he's not going to do new songs, but... And Dave uh, and Dave has been really good when he when he opened for Kiss. Like, like those Vegas shows were a fucking disaster, but he was toned down, and he, he sounded oh, good. Yeah. yeah, no, no, I agree. And you know what? And, and that's, that's the attitude I'm going with. Like, you know what? No matter what, I'm going to see Dave... Uh, I've seen Dave great. I've seen Dave suck. Uh, and the same with Kiss. If Kiss plays good that night, if, if they're using tapes from a good bootleg, who knows? <laughs> I, I, I might enjoy it, but I'm going to see Dave. I don't That's think I, I care about. I, I don't think I, I would stay for Kiss, dude. It, I, I, no, well, I, I don't I, think I would. It, it, it's, it's one of those Okay, I'm, I'm going with the missus. Oh, she's oh, I th- oh, she's going, and that's different. Yeah, well, uh, she bought the tickets. She's only seen Kiss once. She saw the reunion tour, uh, the the first one. Boy, she ain't for a letdown. Yeah, but but then again, she's not like an Uber fan, you know. She's like, oh, I hope they play Sure Know Something. <laughs> you oh, know? forget it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, but uh, you know what? Fuck it. I- I'll check it out. The last time I saw Kiss, I walked out of that show going, never again. That's yeah. it. I don't give a fuck if it's free. You know, I am never seeing Kiss again. Never. They bring Ace Fraley back, I'm still not going. It, I'm, it's over, Johnny. It's over. <laughs> Nothing is over. <laughs> Call me baby killer and all that crap. <laughs> all right, so... Speaking about Dave, uh, he released a new song called Giddy Up. And, uh, wow. All I'm going to say, there's no bigger Dave nut swinger in the world than me. And uh, not a fan. Man, not a fan. And I got to tell you the truth. I did not like uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow Barn Grill either. Right. I'm not feeling either one of these songs uh, very let down musically. Uh, I think Dave sounds great doing what Dave can uh, at, at his age. Uh, and and li- the lyrics are great on both songs. 
you know, Dave's always going to come at you with great fucking lyrics. Uh, you know, very, you know, Bon Scott-esque, you know, Steven Tyler, double entendre, shithouse poet, you know, working class Bob Dylan kind of fucking lyrics. But musically and delivery-wise, very, very disappointed. Uh, I know, Ralph, you said you like Giddy Up. What did you, what did you think of the first one, The uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow Bar and Grill? I liked it as well, man. I mean, um, wow. and, and you know, I'm more critical of Dave than you are. Right. And um, I, I dig him. But, you know, I do agree with you. I want to hear some rocking, the big rock, you know, I want to hear right. rocking stuff, but you know, I'm, you know, I, I, you know, like, and I know you love, I'm pretty sure you love Ladies Night in Buffalo, right? Oh, uh, probably, probably top one or two solo songs they ever did. Yeah, love. I mean, hopefully the album will have, you know, like Light and Shade, you know, there'll be some more heavier stuff. I don't know. But, you know, maybe he just released two of the, the different type songs. I dug it. I dug it. I would prefer the heavier stuff, but I was not disappointed. I really thought he sounded good, but, you know, that's studio magic, but who cares? Right. And, well, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I dug it. I did not dislike it. And, and, and I'm not even bitching about the vocals, uh, but I want, like, I mean, the, the heaviness. Look, look at, you know, a different kind of truth. Honey Baby Sweetie Doll. Yeah, I mean, that's the heaviest thing Van Halen's done since fucking uh, Fair Warning, by far. I mean, right. just fucking amazing. And, and, you know, but Dave stays in his, you know, uh, talk slash singing comfort zone, works for the song, and it's fucking incredible. So, you know, if Dave can't do that, you know, I get that. You know, but I, I want to hear something a little bit better, you know, musically. Uh, and I was really expecting a lot more with John Five. Uh, I hold John Five in very high esteem. I, I think, unfortunately, he's he's never in bands that showcases talent. I mean, well, except for the uh, DLR band. Yeah, yeah, th that's really the only one. I mean, because other than that, yeah. he was in two with Rob Halford. Uh, I love that album, but it's not a guitar player's album. I loved him in Marilyn Manson, but in Marilyn Manson's like gajung gajung junk, gajung gajung junk. Uh, then he joined Rob Zombie, and it's the same thing. It's like jung gajung gajung gajung. You know, it's you know you don't have room to show off in those bands. Enough of that. We got to get into the last story, which you know everybody's been wanting to hear about. And that is the Dave Ellison jerk-off story. <laughs> Holy Mastacholi. Uh, and first and foremost, before we even start going to this, I just want to say that Ralph and I both met Dave Ellison at Rockin' Pod 3. Uh, we interviewed him. He was a very nice guy. Did we really very interview him, though? <laughs> we we kind of did. He <laughs> was he was he, he he was he was very nice, and he even put on his Twitter, which uh, I really respect that he put on his Twitter. He put the picture of our logo and said, "Hey, I'm talking to Rock and Metal Combat Podcast," and I'm sure he did that with all the different shows that he interviewed with. 
but I appreciated it. And he was very nice. He took pictures with us. He took pictures with all of our fans who were there. Uh, Vincent Cavanaugh, Tim Bream, uh, you know, everybody who was around when we were interviewing him. Very nice. But uh, boy, did he get himself in a predicament. <laughs> and, you said dick. <laughs> uh, holy shit. What's your, what's your whole take on this uh, Dave Ellison jerk-off extravaganza? Well, I think it is, like, beyond stupid what he did. I mean, what was the fuck was he thinking? Seriously. To do that shit. But the repercussions is bullshit to me because I don't buy when that press release, when, when Dave Mustaine said... Oh, there was other things, not just this. I don't buy it. I don't buy See, it I, at all. I, I, I disagree with that. I disagree with that. And I'll get into it later, but go ahead. Well, I'm like, if they had problems other than the jerk-off thing, why would he let them play on the new album? It just yeah. makes no sense to me. See, I, don't. I, I, I disagree with that, but we'll get into it. But expand on your answer. All right. So, um, also, I, I just think it's the whole PC thing. I honestly do. Now, I had an argument with some chick that said, look, Dave Mustaine knows more about it than you do. And I'm sure he knows way more about this, you know, because she's calling him a pedophile. She's calling him a groomer. She's calling him all this. And I said, look, I'm not saying you're wrong, but you know what is wrong? That if Dave Mustaine did know this guy was a pedophile, and this is what I told the chick. I said, don't you think it's wrong for him not to expose him? And then she said, well, it's because of business. And I'm like, business schmizness. That's child endangerment by not exposing a pedophile. Period. But I don't think he's a pedophile. Honestly, when I saw the picture of the chick, she didn't look fucking 19. I mean, she looked older. She looked maybe mid to late 20s. Not saying it's okay what he did. I don't think he was grooming her, to tell you the truth, because he started talking to her at 16 years old, or, yeah, 16, and he didn't start getting sexual with her till she was 19. Why didn't he do it when she was 18 of age? Why did he wait a full year? You know? I just, I thought, but at the same time, and I got to stress this, I may be wrong, because I don't know all the fucking details, I'm not a Facebook detective. All I know is this is my take on it. I feel like Dave Mustaine fired him because of uh, PC shit and he didn't want to deal with questions. Where I, if it was Thrash or Die, and you know fucking members I've had in Thrash or Die, they've done far worse. I'd be like, right. fuck you. Fuck, fuck all of you. He stays in the band. Fuck all of you. And... The people that say, well, you got to remember, Dave Elson sued Dave Mustaine back in, you know, blah, blah. Then why did he take him back? And also, Dave Mustaine put up a post saying, this guy's my best friend for life. Recently, before this jerk-off thing, why would he do that if he had, if there was trouble bubbling? You know, I just don't buy none of this shit. I think that he wouldn't have played on the new album if shit was really serious between the Daves. That's my well, take on it. I, I have 
multiple theories about this. Um, first of all, I, I, I think it's pretty fucked up what he did. Uh, now, you can say that is because of the times, because, I mean, there's very, you know, there, there's many stories about Jimmy Page fucking 14-year-olds. Uh, you know, Ted Nugent, you know, fucking, you know, three-year-olds. Uh, you know, that that's nothing new in rock and roll. Uh, I do think there was some lingering things before this that contributed. But first and foremost, I want to say how stupid on Dave Ellison's part. Because, I mean, you're in your late fucking 50s. Uh, you should have a little bit of smarts to know that a girl that age isn't all there. That there is... A, 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 a chance that a girl like that could, you know, change her mind, release this shit, do all this shit. I mean, and you're in your late fucking 50s. Let's not even, you know, I mean, and Jesus Christ, you're a Lutheran minister and you're doing this shit. You're cheating on your wife, you know, and not physically, but emotionally. You're, you're cheating on your wife of almost 30 years with a teenager and you don't think this is going to end up bad I mean I mean come on but you know Dave also said there was shit leading up to this and now that's something I really believe because I mean Ralph back me up here when we talked to Dave Dave was very nice but who got in the way of all the Dave shit yeah that guy yes uh, I don't even know his name. I, I, I call him uh, fucking Hazelnut or whatever. Okay, so let's rewind a little bit. So you have all the drama between the Daves. You know, the, the lawsuits and all that shit. It's all about money. Okay, Dave brings Junior back. I honestly, in my heart of hearts, and I don't know the Daves, I could be wrong on this shit, but I, I, I definitely have opinions and feelings he brought back junior purely because it brings cred to the megadeth name okay because you associate the two daves those were the guys who made it through every lineup uh you know megadeth was touring without dave did multiple albums without without junior but they weren't blockbusters they they weren't like you know metallica sellers and shit like that so he brings them back as a salary employee, which never goes well. I mean, look at Kiss, you know, when they brought back Ace and Peter. They weren't full-fledged members. They were on salary, the same way Junior was on salary. But it, it brings cred. It brings interest. You know, people are like, oh, yeah, well, he's back on this, so th it automatically makes it feel legit and good. You know, the same way people bought fucking Psycho Circus thinking it's a real Kiss album when it wasn't. So he brings them back, but now Junior has to deal with the fact that he's salary now. He's not a regular employee. He doesn't make that money he made back in the day. So what do you see Ellipson doing? You see Ellipson starting uh, rebooting Combat Records. Uh, 
Ellipson his own coffee line, his own this, his own that, to supplement the income loss that he's suffering from being in Megadeth, but only being a contract member, you know, you know, a salary member, not a full-fledged member. He's taking a big pay cut. And on top of that, he's got this Yoko Ono called uh, Tom uh, fucking Hazelnut or whatever, the guy we met, you know, when we did the interview. I don't know Tom Hazelnut. I don't know anything. But he came off as very overbearing and very opportunistic in the interview, like cutting off Junior and doing all this. Like, this is a guy that just, to me, seems like he's really leeching on Dave trying to make some money. I think that kind of shit doesn't sit well with Mustaine. I don't think it sits well with Mustaine, all this shit that Ellison's doing, using the Megadeth name to sell coffee, uh, to rebrand combat records, to do all this stuff. So when they say that there were some underlying themes... I think a lot of this shit has to do with extracurricular stuff that Junior was doing and the presence of fucking Hazelnut and all this other shit that's going on. Uh, so I, I think that was probably a bone of contention before this shit happened. And I've also seen some interviews where they said the one thing Mustaine hates is to be embarrassed. And what is this but other than a big embarrassment? Because uh, what this interviewer brought up is like, oh, you know, you know, Megadeth comes out, you know, Junior starts playing bass and everybody's like making a jerk off, you know, like moving their hands like, <laughs> jerk off guy, jerk off guy, jerk off guy. Mustaine can't handle that, you know, because it's a Mustaine on his ego. Uh, you know, makes him look bad, makes Megadeth look silly. I think it's more that than a politically correct thing. I honestly do. Well, I mean, look, what you say is legit. I'm not going to say you're wrong because, honestly, both of us don't know, really. We just have our theories. And your theory, it could be legit, just like my theory. I still stand by everything I think. I think Dave Mustaine just is a bitch and doesn't want to deal with interviews and people jack doing the jack off thing when he's on stage and all that shit. I'm sorry, man. I, I yeah, it's an ego thing. But I also I really honestly believe he's just like, oh, if I keep him in the band, it's bad for you know in, in the day and age we live in. I think if all that shit was true, what you were saying, all the shit leading up, which does sound legit, and I just don't think he would have kept them on if it really bothered him. I just feel like this jerk off thing is the main reason. Because well, well the, no, main, no. The, the main reason I think this though is because he's on the new album. Dave is a Lutheran pastor and he plays in a Christian rock band called Mega Life. Alright? If God really loved you, Dave Ellison, you wouldn't have got caught. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, man. Some shit like this makes me believe in God. You know? I mean, when I say, like, you know, Jim Baker, uh, what's his face? I've sinned against you, my lord. Um, Jimmy Swagger. All yeah. these motherfuckers that preach and, and, and do all this. God's got, there probably is a guy going, motherfucker, I'm going to expose you. 
stop fucking, you know, talking about me and then and doing all this shit, getting hookers and raping chicks and jacking off to a teenager. You need to be exposed. Hey, maybe God is real. Yeah, you know, it's, it's you know, Rock and Ron has never faced a, uh, legal allegations. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because he's, he's not a preacher. He knows how to cover his tracks. Yeah, God's like, oh, man, he doesn't go over there, you know. Where Jimmy Swagger would, you know, like, and Jim Baker, all of them. They all fucking hated Striper. You know, all of them right. bashed Striper and all these guys are taking it. Yeah, this is blasphemy, taking the Lord's name in vain. And, and yeah, but then you go get a fucking hooker. And you know what I think happened to Jimmy Swagger? I, I don't know if you remember the whole story. I think oh, somebody... Yeah. I think somebody saw her. Is this this is how it went down? Somebody saw him pick up a hooker, took her to a hotel, and then they slashed his tire. Right? Is that how it happened? Uh, well, uh, Swagger was with uh, Jessica Hahn, remember? No, no, that was Jim Baker. Swagger oh, was with uh, the, what was it? The, the 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 hooker, the black hooker. Um... Oh, uh, Tim Breen. <laughs> yeah, Tim Breen. <laughs> Tim Gaines. <laughs> he, he threatened to expose Tim Breen's uh, lawn care service. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Slash the tires of his little fucking lawnmower. A little or, or was that Paul Stanley? I get so confused. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, yeah it, 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 either it's way, ridiculous. you know, I, I, I just want to say, uh, you know, Ellison, if you hear this, which I doubt, um, you were very nice to us. We, we we love your bass playing. We love your contributions to metal. But God damn it, you fucked up, you know. And we're going to goof on you like we would goof on anybody who fucked up. But like we would goof on ourselves if we got caught doing this shit, you know. Uh, I have said this. I have said this in a past episode many years ago. I met Megadeth on Rust in Peace at the Fountain Blue Hotel. He was a prick. Where really? even even Dave Mustaine was nice. You know, Menzo was cool. Marty well, was really cool. Marty was with a Japanese chick even back then. Allison was a fucking prick. Really? Matt, yeah. Well, Menzo always seemed like the coolest. I love me some Nick Menzo. Well, yeah, I, I love or not, Mustaine was the coolest out of all of them. Wow. <laughs> no, it, it is what it is. You know, on one hand, I feel bad for him. But on the other hand, you know, it's like... Dude, you did this to yourself. No, I, I agree with you. There, I agree. It's like, dude, you... And I said it, dude. I said it when it first happened. I said, you just fucked up your life. You just yeah. fucked it all up. And I was, and I even said, I go, maybe Dave will forgive you. And here's another thing that you got to think of. How do we know, Ian, that he doesn't have, like, an open marriage? Maybe his wife is jacking off to a young guy on, on FaceTime, too. We don't know this. You know, maybe that, but maybe it's not. So just a blanket, say he cheated on his wife. Who knows? Maybe she was holding the phone as he jacked off. We don't know these things. So it's yeah. kind of like we can't like judge it, you know, because that's the problem with online. Everybody is like, you know exactly what happened. He cheated on his wife or, you know, he's doing the shit behind his wife back. How do we really know that? You yeah. know, maybe, maybe he's not. Maybe she's cool with it. And you know, I mean, and also you got to remember these religious fucks. Yeah, maybe she was playing with herself, watching old white lion videos. 
But, she, likes uh, to, she likes to masturbate to an Eddie Van Halen wannabe. All right, well, now it's time to get to the reason we're here, and that's for Mr. Christopher Kaiser, who donated for this episode. And we are talking about the 8th Deep Purple album, 1974's Burn. Uh, yeah. Man, this is one... Uh, a lot of people hail this as a masterpiece. Some people can't accept it. Uh, it's not Deep Purple. Some people say it's one of the best Deep Purple albums ever. Uh, I know it's one of those kind of weird things where, like, you know, both of us were too young at the time it was released to say the true impact. But uh, when did this album first come into your radar? Uh, when I, and it was a brand new album, The Deepest Purple. That, that Greatest Hits compilation, uh, it had the song Burn on it. I think it had Stormbringer, too. I may be wrong. Uh, but I know it had Burn. And, man, that was my favorite song off the Deep Purple, Deepest Purple album. And, you know, I'll say it right now, it's my favorite Deep Purple song. But I'm more of a Mach 2 guy. Um, most people online like this lineup the best. You know, uh, but you know, I mean, but you know, the, the hardcores are more into Coverdale Hughes, where the masses are into Ian Gillen, you know, and I, I, to me, my favorite is in rock. I think Fireball is amazing. I think Machine Head is badass. And you know, who do you think we are is a step down, but it, man, Smooth Dancer, Ratbat Blue. It's got some great shit on there too, but this was definitely an improvement from that album. Um, but Burn, the song Burn, is worth the price of admission alone. Well, I, I, I dig this one too, and uh, the funny thing is, I think the first studio album I bought by Deep Purple was Stormbringer. I remember Metal Blade in the early 90s and by that, I mean 1990. <laughs> I remember it was one of the three albums I bought when I was out in L.A. I went to L.A. in 1990. I bought uh, Slayer, Seasons in the Abyss. Uh, the first album by Delight. <laughs> and I love this era. And I, I know this is a bit of a spoiler alert, but much how you uh, famously say about uh, Merciful Fate, your favorite band of the 80s, you're like... They did no wrong with uh, Kim Ruz at, dr at drums. Well, I believe they did no wrong with Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale on bass and vocals. All three of those albums, I think, are phenomenal. Now, technically, is it better than the Mach 2 era? That's up for debate. But I will tell you this. There's, there's you know, some Mach 2 albums I'm like, eh, about... But I loved all three with Coverdale and Hughes in tow. You know, and you got two of those with, with Blackmore on guitar. Of course, the last one, Come Taste the Band, with, with Tommy Bolin on guitar. But I think all of those are amazing. The thing, thing is, but is it the same band? Um... And that, and that and I think this is a band that should have changed their name. It, it, it's up to the individual 
whether you consider it Deep Purple. There's a lot of hardcore Deep Purple fans who don't consider the David Coverdale shit. You know, ah, that's not Deep Purple. That's not Deep Purple. Man, I've but, never met any of those. Th- those must be some old motherfuckers, right? That were back then, right? Ah, uh, no, they're they're still they're still. If you go online, there's some people who don't acknowledge that era. You know, all I like, see nah. online, uh, uh, seriously, and I have never met anybody online that prefers the Gillen lineup over this. Everybody says this is the best Deep Purple lineup. Well, online, online yeah, I say. Yeah, but there, there, there's, yeah, there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacks, and there's a lot of you know rewrite history kind of fans. You know, like my dad loved Deep Purple. My dad loved Deep Purple, and I, I grew up. He had in rock on vinyl. He had uh, Fireball, Machine Head. Uh, who do we think we are? He didn't have the David Coverdale shit on vinyl, you know. Did he? He didn't like it. You know, it, it's one of the. You know, my dad died when I was so young. I, you know, I never thought to ask him, but it's like, you know, it kind of sounds like he probably wasn't into it. Obviously, he wasn't into it, but, you know, it was the same thing with, with Sabbath. You know, when I started listening, I remember when I bought Headless Cross and I'm, like, playing Sabbath, you know, my, my dad's laughing. He hadn't bought a Sabbath album since Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. He's like, yeah, that's the last album I bought. You know? So, I mean, there's, you know, you, know, you got to look at the fans back in the day. How did they take this? You know, and how was it looked at back then? You know, it's easy to look back like, you know, you know, look, look at all the people who are like, oh, the Elder is amazing. It's such a deep concept album. Well, none of you motherfuckers bought it when it came out. I you didn't, know. and I didn't, and I love it. I didn't. I'm one of those right. motherfuckers. Right, but you know what I'm saying? There's people like, oh, okay, now it's considered a classic, but let's talk about when it came out. Nobody gave a shit. Yeah, no, nah, yeah, that's, that's, and you're right, but that's how I'm different from those fucking tards. I love right. it because it's fucking weird. I don't love it because you know, and this is another thing. A lot of people love stuff that didn't do as well, you know. Oh yeah. But but oh, yeah. I I'm almost positive I'm correct on this. When this album came out, they had their own jet, their own plane. They were still huge. Oh yeah, no, no, this this album did well. It still, uh, it still went gold in the U.S. That's all. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it went gold, and wow. and and they they still when you see all this shit from uh, what was it, uh, California Jam, they headlined mm-hmm. with this with this new lineup. You know, Black Sabbath, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, all these other bands who played who were huge. They were the opening bands. Deep Purple was the fucking headliner with the new lineup. Right. So, uh, I mean, I mean, they were still big, but this, you know, this album went gold, but none of the other shit with uh, Coverdale and Hughes, you know, came close. But, you know, it just backs up my, my theory. Like, you know, look at the sales of 5150. I don't care who took over. If you released an album at that era and called it Van Halen, it would have sold. You know, the the true test of time is, well, what did the follow-up do? You know, what did this do? You know, and what did what did what did uh, a couple decades later do? Because nobody 
that Ben Hagar was of the moment. Yes. Van Halen is timeless. Yes, exa exactly. And that and that's kind of like how this is, but in a way in the reverse, because still nothing outsells the Mach 2 era of purple, but this uh, is well. a, lot, a lot of people look back at these albums now and, and, and speak very well of them who didn't at the time, like, oh, well, now listening to it, I love it. You know, but I will say it's one of those things. I don't think this is, should necessarily be called Deep Purple. But let's talk about the first track. Oh my God. It's Burn. Ralph, what do you think about the title track? It's my favorite Deep Purple song. Uh, like I said, the first time I heard Deepest Purple, which actually, like, my second favorite Deep Purple song is Demon's Eye which is kind of a deep track, but it's on there. But right. man, this song, the riff, Pace, what, what, listen to what Ian Pace is doing during the verses. It's these crazy rolls and Coverdale beating it out and fucking Hughes during that bridge. It's just, dude, it gives me chills, dude. It's a, and a killer solo by both Blackmore and Lord. Which is kind of light and shade a little bit because Blackmore is on fire and then Lord brings this classical melodic thing to it. Then and then it's just such a phenomenal, well-written masterpiece of a song. This is definitely, obviously, my favorite song off this album because it's my favorite Deep Purple song, period. And my favorite, you know, Deep Purple lineup is Mach Two. So there you go. I love Burn. Love it. What do you think? Well, you know, I gotta say, what a statement. You know, what a statement for a new lineup for the band. And what I love about this song is everybody is present on this. You know, nobody's nobody's the weak link on this. You hear every member of this lineup on this song, and it sounds like a band. Doesn't necessarily sound like Mach Two. Deep Purple, no. But this is a band on fire on all fucking cylinders. You know, goddamn Pace and Lord and, you know, Hughes, Coverdale. Blackmore, that riff by Blackmore. And there's a lot of people, like nowadays, you know, give praise to this. You know, but it is kind of like Monday Morning Quarterback because... It was very divisive when it came out, you know, but now everybody loves it. But that's, to me, that's a true test. What stands the test of time? Look at Van Hagar. Okay. You know, Van Hagar at the time way outsold, you know, David Lee Roth solo albums and stuff like that. But look at it now. Look, look, look when, 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 you know, time tells. More people like Eat Him and Smile or 5150, you know? You know, there's people who get caught up in the moment, but over time, what stands the test of time? God damn, that sounds like a fucking Sammy Hagar lyric. Only time will tell if you stand the test of time. <laughs> but, I, I, I mean, it really tells you, like, like, what holds your interest years later? Were you caught up in the moment, or do you love the fucking music? 
you know, and this is one of those things, like, like people laugh at fucking 5150, love fucking eat them and smile, the same way with this, you know, people are like, oh, that's not Ian Gillen, but people are like, oh my god, that riff on fucking Burn by Richie Blackmore, you know, listen to that drumming by Ian Pace, listen to that, those fucking keys by John Lord, it stands the test of time. Burn is an all-time fucking classic. And uh, oddly enough, this album was one of Eddie Van Halen's favorite albums. And one, uh, one of his favorite riffs. Yeah, and, and, and we'll get to a song later that Van Halen covered in their club days off of this album. You know, so just amazing. Should they have changed their name again? I'm kind of leaning towards yes, because to me, this is a new band. But just as powerful, but in a different way, as the Mach 2 lineup. But... And the drumming, the fucking everything. You know, it's still, to this day, one of the top, uh, you know, Deep Purple songs. And it sucks, because you'll never hear it now, because Gillen will never play anything that he didn't sing on, and... You know, I'll give him a pass for not playing King of Dreams. <laughs> you know. But then again, you know, he couldn't do Burn. He couldn't sing Burn the same way David Coverdale could not do Child in Time. It's right. two different styles. It's it you know, to me, two different fucking bands. Unfortunately they're both called Deep Purple, but so different. Uh you know, and, and to me a prime example is there there's a song on that's going to come up later that, you know, David Coverdale originated and Ronnie James Dio did his whole thing on. But to me, as much as I love Dio and I love what Dio does, he didn't do what Coverdale did. Some things are just specifically to a certain band. And to me, Mach 3 uh, was something special and, and something totally different. But then we go to the next track might just take your life. Now, Burn, I think, could be seen as a Deep Purple song. There's a lot of similarities to the Mach 2 lineup, but you hear a different voice. But with Might Just Take Your Life, that, to me, is like, this is something different. This is, this is a new band, a new direction, a new style, a new sound. I fucking love this song. This is the one Van Halen used to cover in their early club days and you can go on youtube and check it out uh i love it i love the interplay between coverdale and hughes uh i love the funk of it i love the the rock element to it um but this is a band you you can just hear the excitement you know this isn't a band that's bored and sterile like you hear on uh uh what was the one with uh, my woman from Tokyo? What is that? Uh, we came for you all, or whatever. Who do the fuck. you think we are? Yeah, who do you think we are? Who do you think we are? Had moments of, of you know awesomeness, but it, they sounded tired. This sounds like a band invigorated, and 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 a band finding its 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 new niche, its new sound. Uh, might just take your life. I think is a fucking classic fucking track. I love it. What do you think? Well, before I tell you what I think of the song, I got to say, and I will say it again, I love this album. Every song is great on this album. 
This one, I would put toward the bottom of the songs on here, because I think all the other songs, well, no, there's two other ones I would put below it, but it's a good song. In no way I think it sucks, but it's not as amazing as the rest of the album minus a song or two coming up. But it does have a really cool mid-tempo flow. It's all right. It is the one that's more, probably the second, well, maybe third best known song off this album after Mistreated and Burn. But I feel like there's stronger material on here, but it's a good song. I'm not saying it sucks. Sounds like I'm bashing it. But as you will hear as I go on, I don't like it as much as like Lay Down, Stay Down. I like it much more. I think Lay Down, Stay Down has this killer, hard driving, you know, vibe. I love that trade off. Coverdale is awesome, but I think in this song, Hughes owns it. What an amazing voice. I mean, these two guys are just trading off. Lay Down, Stay Down is a badass fucking song. I absolutely love it. What do you think? Uh, Lay Down, Stay Down, my least favorite song on the album. And it's probably because of the chorus. I, I, I really hate the chorus, and I'm surprised that this is one. This was like a big um, centerpiece when they played live on this tour. And even on the next tour, they would do like, you know, 16, 17-minute versions of the song. Um, I don't hate it, but it's definitely my least favorite, you know. And there's a couple songs that are considered filler on this one, and, and, and nobody ever mentions it this song but to me this is the filler song on the album uh, again I don't hate it but obviously you like it a lot more than me yeah uh, there's there's parts I like about it but that that chord that lay down stay down uh, ruins it for me well I will say I love this song but boy there's better songs coming up it's down there with my might just take your life. I like it more than might just take your life, but the songs after this, minus one, uh, I would put this down there too. But I love it. Like, I love this whole album, dude. I'm just, you know, it sounds like I'm bashing it because I like other songs more, but no, nah, might just take your life and lay down, stay down should have been a little later in the album for me because there's stronger songs coming up. All right, keep going. All right, well, I'll take the next one, Sail Away. Holy shit. Uh, do I love this song. It's almost like a doomy uh, funk song. To me, a very hidden gem on this album. As far as I can tell, this one was never played live. And I don't get it, because I think this one would lend itself much better live than Lay Down, Stay Down. Especially like a 60-minute version. Uh, to me, this is a great mix of Mach 2, Deep Purple, you know, meets Mach 3. Uh, amazing track. I really, really love this one. And you can see, you know, the influence this had on early Whitesnake, 
and again, you know, the people that only know, like, okay, I know Slide It In, you know, plus on Whitesnake, you know, go back and listen to the, you know, early Whitesnake. Yes, it is rather simplistic lyrically and musically, but I don't know, there's just something more sincere about it. And, uh, I don't know, just good hard rock. Uh, you know, and it's funny looking at, at the the direction that, that Deep Purple is looking to go to because Glenn Hughes left his band Trampees because Blackmore originally told him that, oh, we're going to get Paul Rogers is going to be the new singer for Deep Purple. And that's why Glenn Hughes left Trapeze. He's like, oh, well, I want to sing and play with, with Paul Rogers. <laughs> and that didn't work out. And they ended up getting David Covered. I was like, oh, well, all right, we'll make this work. But uh, to me, Sail Away is just an amazing track. What do you think, Ralph? I think it's fucking killer. Uh, you know, I love that dash of funk and the riffage from, you know, I love what Richie and, and John are doing in sync, that, that funky type riff. Uh, and, and I say this song, Coverdale, like, keeps up with Glenn. I think they both deliver the stellar vocal performance. And I know many would say a song coming up is... Uh, you know, the shining moment for David Coverdale. No, man, this to me is my favorite vocal performance on this album. And that trippy organ solo rules. Just a killer mid-tempo jam. I love it. Um, all right, I'll take the next one. Uh, you Fool No One. Got three words for this one. Ian fucking Pace, man. You know, I saw Deep Purple like two years ago with Judas Priest. Dude, Ian Pace... Maybe even better now. I don't know. It's a freak. The guy's a freak of nature. What I saw that night was the... And I've seen Deep Purple. I saw... The first time I saw him was um, Perfect Strangers Tour. That was the only time I ever saw him with Blackmore. Then I've seen him like three, four times with with uh, Steve Morse. That night, man, I couldn't believe how good Ian Pace is. And I love his playing on this, and I think this song kicks so much ass. I love those vocal harmonies, you know. And I and I would say Glenn owns this song, and you know, in the the, the vocal department, it's tight as fuck as that solo section, you know, in the in the middle. With you know, I love what John is doing while Richie is smoking that killer solo. Um, that's my favorite part of the song. Uh, and it's my second favorite song off this album, You Fool No One. What do you think? Uh, well, this one was, was a grower for me. Uh, originally, I was like, eh. And again, it was it was kind of almost like lay down, stay down. I didn't like the chorus. Uh, I didn't feel it catchy. But what sold this song for me was the interplay between Blackmore and Pace. And I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, because to me, they save this song. You know, is something that could be a throwaway. And this is why I get fucking so, uh, you know, upset and irritated. You know, when people are like, oh, Tommy Lee's a good fucking drummer. No, Ian Pace is a great fucking drummer. Okay. 
You know, can, can you see Tommy Lee playing some shit like this? No. You know what Tommy Lee does good is a doom, da, doom, da, doom, da, and he's on a fucking, you know, on a roller coaster. Like, who, who, who would you say is better, Ralph? Ian Pace or Tommy Lee? Oh, definitely Ian Pace. But you know what's funny? Oh, okay. You know, who, who, who would you say? Bill Ward or Tommy Lee? Uh, Bill Ward. Come on. Bill Ward's the greatest. Okay. Okay. I put Bill Ward over Ian Pace. John Bonham or Tommy Lee? John Bonham. Well, I got to say, Ian, because um, you obviously never seen it. If you ever want to uh, see Tom, uh, get impressed by Tommy Lee, watch the Theater of Pain drum solo, how it begins. It sounds just like You Fool No One, except with Cowbell. It's the same. I think Tommy Lee ripped it off from this. Because you bringing up Tommy Lee, it's just like, I never thought of it before. But the way that drum solo starts, talking about live, the thing is that Tommy Lee would never play like this on an actual recording. But I, I think he's very capable of doing this. But he just, well, I'm talking about back then. Theater Payne, uh, Shout. Oh, yeah. and, uh, oh. uh, he's a really good drummer. But the thing is, yeah, what you're talking about, too young, uh, too young to fall in love type, you know, pounding. You know, it's very powerful playing. But he doesn't do what Ian Pace does. But he's capable, man. I mean, just watch that drum solo Theater Payne and tell me what you think. He does, like, the same thing. It, well, it's just I that... You're right. Tommy Lee is a spectacle. He's more celebrity, and and that really gravitates people. Oh, he's a great drummer because he does Red Hot, you know, the drum solo. But what Ian Pace does on 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 record completely destroys Tommy Lee. What he does on his recordings, but right, right, I think right. I I think Tommy Lee is capable of playing like Ian Pace. He just doesn't have a band that can do shit like that. Right. Well, you know, Ian Pace might not be able to drive a boat with his dick, but he can drive a fucking album with his drumming. I have a feeling that Ian Pace has like a 19-inch cock. He, he, he very well could be. But man, you, you listen, you, you want to talk about an underrated member when everybody talks about Blackmore. It's, it's Ian Pace's cock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, Ian Pace is just, I, I, I mean, a fucking beast. I'll take the next song, which to most people, um, you know, it's funny as I'm doing research for this album, they consider this one the throwaway track, uh, the filler track. I disagree. What's going on here? I love this fucking song. And uh, to me, again, this is one that saved by Ian Pace and, and the Blackmore. But what I like, though, is this one, it feels like everybody's on the same page. It feels like a band song. It doesn't necessarily sound like a single, but it sounds like, you know, five guys who are together and like, oh, or five or six, whatever the fuck. Uh, you know, I don't know. Everybody's hitting on all cylinders on this one. Even though it doesn't have that like instant hook, you know, it doesn't have a, a smoke on the water hook. But man, what everybody does on this one stands out. I love this song. I think it's definitely a, a hidden gem on this album. What do you think? Uh, it's a great fucking song. But I will say, I can do without that honky tonk piano. 
kind of like I don't know. It's, uh, I, it, I'm not feeling it, but it's another stellar Blackmore solo. You know, shit like this is why he is in my top five greatest guitar players because he can shred like the best of them. But it's where he's not showing off and playing for the song, and that's what he's doing on this song. That's what I love the best about Blackmore. Like, that solo he does here, it's a solo for the song. It enhances the song. And, I dude, I mean, I've said it a million times, man. I will put... Look, I like... I like... Uh, you know my favorite band of all time is Black Sabbath. And I like Led Zeppelin more than Deep Purple. But I like Blackmore as a guitar player more than Iomi and Paige. Wow. He's way up there on my list you know and it's because of shit like this you know the how it's that guy knows how to fucking like talk through his guitar like he he has this language that nobody really has and the thing is he, he's he's brilliant he's the first guy i mean i saw footage of the mach one i think it was the song mandrake root him doing sweeps. Who the fuck was doing sweeps back then? I mean, the guy can shred. He's amazing. But here he's not shredding. But he gets that point across. And it really touches my soul. I love it. I love this song. Not too crazy about the piano. But it doesn't ruin the song for me. But yeah, I mean, I, I would have been better with a little organ playing on it. Great song. And I think it's a little catchy. I think it is. there. there is a little hook to it. You know? All right, I'll take the next one, Mistreated. You know, David fucking covered up. This song is totally showcasing his ability. The killer bluesy voice. And like, you know, what I said earlier, I mean, my, I like what he does on Sail Away more than Mistreated, but I love his show. You know, this is, you know, this is where you're going to shine, David, on this track. And how Blackmore plays, again, so phenomenal how his soul, soul pours out uh, of his playing in this song and and you know I mean a lot of people would say Dio doesn't have the bluesy voice but god damn dude the on stage version of Mistreated the way Dio sings it man I feel it too but I love Mistreated what do you think oh I mean this is the epic of the album and you know, it, it's important to point out, yeah, Dio does an amazing job on this. But there is something about that onstage version where you can tell he's doing a cover, just like, you know, to me, he does a great job on some of the Ozzy Sabbath stuff, but there's still something missing. Same way with this. This was made for David Coverdale. Even though musically, this was written two years before it was ever recorded. And Glenn Hughes talked about the first time he played with uh, Richie Blackmore, he showed him this riff. And this was before Coverdale even joined the band, when he still thought Paul Rogers was going to be the singer for Deep Purple. Did Coverdale write these lyrics? Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. The 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 the. the the credits for this are solely Blackmore and Coverdale, and and you can tell it, it's it, it's pure Coverdale. 
And he even said, I, I read like a pretty cool quote he made about, you know, his lyrics are very bluesy, but he's like, I didn't grow up, you know, on the wrong side of the tracks and poor and stuff like that. He goes, but I've had my heart broken many a fucking time. And he goes, then I feel that's what you need to truly write a blues song. And that's where Coverdale shines. You know, Coverdale can never say, you know, oh, the oppression and all this. But he's great at singing a heartbroken song. And that's what this is. And he delivers vocally, uh, you know, lyrically. He knocks it out of the park on this. And it's one of those, as great as a vocalist as Ronnie James Dio is. And he does do a great version on, on, on stage on this. But this is Coverdale's song. Coverdale's fucking song through and through. And yet it is a precursor to me to the rainbow sound. Uh, it still sounds like Richie Blackmore, but it's much more in tune with what he would do with Dio uh, than it is like the Mach 2 or even the Mach 3 lineup. This, to me, isn't, you know, okay, this is where he wants to go. This this is early Rainbow. Uh, love, love this fucking track. And uh, and I, I, I love how it's a true collaboration between Blackmore and Coverdale. You know, it, you need both of those guys for this to succeed and for it to succeed at its finest. Um, the epic track on the album, absolutely love it. And I'll take the closing song. Uh, you know, if, if you're going the official album, we're going to talk about a bonus track on this. But this is the one that, that closed out the album, and that's A200, the instrumental. And uh, <laughs> what's funny is A200 was uh, a medicine that you would get for crabs which a lot of bands which a lot of bands had to deal with uh, in the <laughs> I did not know that yeah yeah with uh, with all the groupies and everything yeah A200 is uh, what you'd rub on your junk if uh, you know you slept with the wrong girl I like this song it's not horrible I think it's horrible placement though I think if you're going to keep this on the album, it should have came before Mistreated. I think Mistreated is the logic, logical closer. I agree. Album. You know, you know what? Where this album, sh this song should have been the closer of side one. I think. Uh I, I, I would have took that. I, I, I think it could have been like a good lead up to Mistreated, but uh, I definitely like, like after the power of Mistreated. I don't think you can go into this because to me, <clears throat> it's it's a half-baked instrumental. It's not horrible, but you know it's it's no standout either. You know, it's like oh, uh, it's it's not like after mistreated you hear this and you're like oh yeah, this is how you do it. It could have been a warm-up to that, or you know, you bring up a valid point. It could have been the closer side one. But definitely not the closer for the album. I, I, I think that was a big mistake. Uh, what do you think, Rob? I think this song has the vibe of Mach 1, actually. But just with a different sound to John's 
you know, playing. Uh, it's got this Egyptian flair to what he's doing, but it kind of bores me after a while until Richie shreds. See, that's that part is the highlight for me on here. And here's a song where Richie is like showing off his chops, how he does fucking rip. But this is my least favorite song on the album because I think if it was like a one like a little shy of two minute instrumental it would have been much better I think there's just even though it's not even a long song what is it four minutes or something or maybe even longer I don't know but yeah, I think it's, it's a little under four minutes yeah I think I think it, it the the keyboard thing that John does and John is my favorite keyboardist you know but it kind of bores me on here so yeah I'm not I'm not a big fan of this song but yeah I think Richie's shredding is amazing on it but that to me doesn't make a song you know because then I'd be praising Ingbe you know what I mean on everything he's done because he shreds but you know this is Richie like letting loose not really playing for a song playing for an instrumental so okay let me just shred up and I love his playing on it but yeah it is my least favorite on here don't really care for it. All right, I'll take that bonus track. Uh, coronavirus, right? <clears throat> Whatever the fuck it's called. Corosis Regig. Is that the name of it? Sure. Ian's <laughs> taking a piss. It's another instrumental. Not really mind-blowing, but you know what? I dig it more than A200. I think it has more balls to it. It's a good jam. But to me, the instrumentals... You know, and uh, Might Just Take Your Life is not as good as all the other songs for me. So, you know, I would put, I would put A200 at the bottom, then Coronavirus, and then Might Just Take Your Life as my least favorites. But out of those three, I like Might, Might Just Take Your Life. These two, eh, you know. I don't think it should have been on the album at all, A200, to tell you the truth. Fuck it, just chop it off. And it would mistreated would have been nice that way. That's what I think. Well, I, I, I can't agree with you there. I, I think, you know, A200 should have not made the cut. But uh, Coronavirus uh, Reddig, I think that would have made a good song all into itself. And I'm surprised they didn't write lyrics to it because I think this had the makings of, of a song, uh, uh, unlike A200, which I think that's totally, you know, that that's filler instrumental shit. But I think, you know, Coronavirus could have been a song. I th I, and I like, don't you think it's a better instrumental than A200? Oh, yeah. Oh, me too. Def man. Def definitely, definitely. Yeah, it was released, uh, that was the B-side <coughs> of uh, Burn. Burn was a single, right? Yes, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. They they chopped burn into half. I think you know burn on the album is six minutes, and the single version was like three minutes and fifty seconds. Oh, that sucks. <clears throat> and 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 this was the B side. But I'm, I, glad, I, I I'm think... glad they didn't chop it off on Deepest Purple because that's the full <laughs> version. Right. But yeah, no coronavirus. I think had much more potential. Uh, to turn into a song, I, I think either 
you know, they just ran out of time in the studio or ran out of ideas, but I think it had much more potential than than putting A200 on there. And and definitely, I think we both agree <clears throat> that the placement of A200 is, is horrible. Yeah. You know, this album should end with Mistreated. Yep. <clears throat> I don't think there's any other uh, way to uh, put it. But that is our review of Deep Purple's Burn. This one was released, hold on a second here, uh, February 15th, 1974. Uh, Deep Purple would go on to release two albums this year, um, Burn in, in February and uh, Stormbringer in December. Uh, but this was definitely the bigger of the two. Uh, both produced by Martin Birch. Uh, you know, God, what a goddamn great producer. And I wish we had guys like him around today that knew how to make instruments sound, to make vocals sound. Uh, we're kind of screwed these days for producers. You don't have that many that are that good. You have, uh, <clears throat> you know, Andy Sneap, uh, you know, and uh, Terry Gates. family of Kemp. Right. But, you know, no, most of what you, what you see is a lot of bands producing themselves to save money. And, and the sound suffers, you know. I mean, a uh, prime example, look at, uh, you know, and I know, I know it's an older band. Look at Wasp. First two albums had uh, outside producers. Everything after that was produced by Blackie Lawless to save money. And I think you hear the difference. You know? I didn't know For, that. I, I had yeah. no idea Blackie Lawless produced album, uh, Wasp albums. All right. Well, now it's time to go into Fan of the Week. And uh, Fan of the Week is a guy who bought this episode. And that's Christopher Kaiser. Yeah. Yeah, Christopher's been uh, a part of our Facebook page since 2018. So, you know, he's kind of new. But, uh, you know, a lot of people might know Christopher uh, from his prolific uh, porno career. He's a very big... Yeah, he's a big director of porno. I did not know that. Yeah, unless I've got the wrong Christopher Kaiser. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh... But I think he, he's directed such classics as You Didn't See Me Coming and I I Used to Be the Bass Player in Megadeth. Uh, oh, I think you got him <laughs> confused with the porn star Christine Geyser, the girl that squirts. Uh, could be. You know, it's kind of late. <laughs> <laughs> but Christopher, I want to thank you and I want to thank you for being very patient. Yeah, because thank you, man. Christopher actually donated to Rock and Pod Three, and uh, and we're getting ready to take care of this now. Uh, but we are doing all the fan episodes, so if you guys want one, do it now. We will take care of you, and we want to thank you, Christopher, not only for donating, you know, but for what all you attributed to uh, porno. So thank you. Yeah. Hell yeah. Thank you, Christopher. That was awesome, dude. And I hope we delivered the goods. I hope it was worth the wait. Yes. 
All right, well, now it's time to go to pick of the week. Ralph, do you have a pick of the week this week? I sure don't. I'm thinking. All right, well, I'll go first. And I have uh, I have multiple picks of the week, so that should give you some time. Okay. Uh, my first pick of the week is something that I believe I picked before, but if you didn't check it out, shame on you. And that is the documentary Deep Purple Feast. Phoenix Rising. Oh, amazing! Oh man! Oh my God! The the the, the elevator lift. I won't give it away, but the yeah. el- elevator lift story. You gotta hear this. And and, and basically, th- this is all about the uh, the Mach Four lineup with Tommy Bolin before you know Deep Purple broke up in 1976. But it uh, does it does touch upon the Stormbringer tour because. Tommy Bolin was part of that. Was he? Yeah. I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah, it's on there. All right. Well, you remember it better than me. But basically, it's about the Tommy Bolin era of Deep Purple and uh, the end of the band uh, for what would be, you know, uh, eight years. They broke up in 76 and didn't get back together until the Mach 2 reunion in 1984. But, uh, very, very uh, well done documentary. Uh, it's, it, I believe it's like two hours long and it feels like it's fucking a half hour. I mean, it just covers so much, but it's that good and that entertaining. And of course, you know, Ralph and I both spoke about our love for the Come Taste the Band album. Uh, I think that's a great, great documentary. Uh, you don't even necessarily have to be a Deep Purple fan to appreciate it just because there's so much interesting shit. Especially when they're in the Philippines and all that shit happens. And That's the elevator lift story. Oh, yeah, yeah. Amazing. But that yeah, is my... If, if you see, uh, I, believe, I, I don't know if it's on there or not, but they made a video for Stormbringer that is Tommy Bowler in the video. Oh, I gotta check that out. But that is my first pick of the week. My second pick of the week is um, an artist I'm new to, but I am so like, oh my god, I'm, I'm obsessed with right now. And it's a guy called Rob Crow. Never heard of him before. Apparently, he's been very big in the indie rock scene. And I was watching, I don't know, Ralph, have you ever seen any of these uh, Amoeba Records videos where... Oh, yeah, where they show off what they just bought. Right, right. Well, there was an Amoeba Records from years ago, obviously, because this was a pick by Rob Caggiano when he was the guitar player for Anthrax. Yeah. And, and, And he picked out, you know, the then released album by... Uh, Rob Crow, and he goes, oh, you know, he goes, all my musician friends said, oh, I gotta check this out. And, you know, they play a little snippet, and I was like, you know, it doesn't sound metal, but goddamn, this sounds pretty fucking, you know, cool. So I checked it out, and apparently this guy is like an indie rock legend from Southern California. He's from the the San Diego era, uh, area. But, uh, this guy has been like in, you know, 
fucking 15 different bands that run the gamut from indie rock. He has a grindcore band called Anal Trump. Uh, <laughs> he has he has a doom metal band called Goblin Cock or Cock Goblin. I've heard of them. I've heard of Cock Goblin. Yeah, Cock Goblin. Yeah, it's this guy, and and he does all these other different bands. He does solo albums, uh, but I just find the guy just so so fucking talented and his songwriting amazing and you know as I dig deeper into his catalog I you know I, I can't believe he's not more you know revered but I guess in the underground he is in the underground he's a he's a big deal but I wasn't like into the like underground indie scene you know I knew more about underground metal than I knew about this but this guy does it all and, and has a love for it all. And all of it is fucking amazing. But he put out a solo album in 2011 called He Thinks He's People. Uh, that I cannot stop listening to. I cannot stop listening to this album. I think it's just masterful songwriting. And, uh, you know, I, I kept thinking about this. I was like, man, I don't know if Ralph would love this or hate this. And You know, you're so hard to pinned down because you know there's there's shit you love that people are like yeah of course he's metal he loves this but yet you love ABBA and you love fucking Oasis yeah uh, so I I don't know you might listen to this and and hate it you might listen to it and love it I uh, there there's no way I can prejudge you in this uh, but all I can encourage you is go on YouTube uh, Rob Crow he he thinks he's people check that out and if you don't like that he's got 50 other fucking bands that you can check out and and see what you think but i'm just really uh i can't stop listening to this guy so between that and phoenix rising that is my pick of the week Ralph, yeah what well you... i'll have to hear it because i'm gonna play it in the uh you know like i do everything okay you know, i play it under what when while you're talking to him so you know uh, I'll let you know what I think. I'll listen. If I like it, then I'll end up listening to the whole record because I always like rip a song, you know. Um, <clears throat> my pick of the week is something I spoke about earlier, White Crone. Uh, the album's called The Poisoner. It's amazing. Uh, Lisa Mann, she's a mega talented girl. She also does blues. She, she This is a metal project, but she got blues albums. And uh, she's got this amazing voice, great guitar player, great bass player. She does it all except for the drums. And they, she made a video, very well-made video with a storyline for the title track, Poisoner. Uh, it is mind-blowing good. She's just a very talented uh, musician with an amazing voice. So check it out and check out my cover of Black Widow where she's on there doing some little black, you know, little guest vocals. And it's an actual video with, you know, everybody in the video, including me, and she's in it. And uh, it's called White Crone, The Poisoner, and Vinny Apiece, who's going to be at Rockin' Pod this year, does a guest appearance on the album. It's amazing. White Crone, The Poisoner. Awesome. Well, I will definitely check that out. And once again, I want to thank Christopher Kaiser, 
for donating and picking this album. And, uh, you know, if, if you're on the fence, man, time's running out to get your own episode. We will get to it. We will do it. Uh, just like next week. When you come back next week, it was a donation from Dave Ellison who wanted us to review <laughs> Michael Jackson's Beat It. Oh, yeah. just the song, right? We're just going to yeah, do the song. Just that song. So next week, we're going to do a hands-on review to Michael Jackson's Beat It. Man, I have a feeling it's going to be like a three-hour episode on that one song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're going to well, beat so- that song to the ground. Oh, yeah. And and if we have enough time, we're going to talk about Billy Squires' The Stroke. <laughs> but that's next week on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. allegiance to the Black Widow.
Black Widow. These words I speak are true. We're all human Aries too. If we don't pledge allegiance to.